This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. But let's get into the message today. It's called the rapture. And I, I believe probably one of the most interesting subjects of all Bible prophecy. I've not preached this particular message before. However, the content I've talked about many, many times. Uh, but I pray that it would put fresh grace, fresh oil, so to speak, upon your study uh, on Bible prophecy. It has for mine anyway. So take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14, a very most familiar passage of Scripture. In fact, most of you know this as well as you know John 3.16. And uh, this verse is a wonderful verse. It's a powerful verse. And I want us to look at it. They'll get it on the screen for you if it's possible. But John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. I want you to look at those scriptures. You're very familiar with it. These scriptures contain a most wonderful promise. And so listen very carefully. The Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, let me say this. I want you to follow the bulletin, and I want you to take some notes as well. But there are many prophecies in the Bible about the Lord Jesus returning in the second coming. And I want you to think about, it. by the way, the second coming of the Lord is really broken down into one advent and then a second advent. This morning, we're talking about the first advent, which is when the Lord comes in the air, the rapture. And that's what we're talking about. And so this morning, if you're looking at the bulletin and you're following along with us, I want to talk about briefly the two testimonies that are mentioned. The first of which is the Lord Jesus himself. Now look at this very carefully. Notice these four words. He said, I will come again. I'm thankful today that we can rest in the assurance of God's promise and his integrity. Now, I will tell you this, that there is another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 34, that you might want to make a footnote on your bulletin today if you're going to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 34, where the apostle Paul recorded these words at the end of the verse, Jesus said this. He's talking about uh, the communion. He says, if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order. And notice these words, when I come. They echo what John said in John chapter 14 and verse number 3. I will come again. So I want you to think about this. God has stamped his integrity on those words because he has spoken them. They came out of the mouth and they came out of the heart of God. And I want you to notice that this scripture is clear. It doesn't say if I come again or I might come again. He said, I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. So I want you to understand something about this integral promise. In the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse number 2, the Bible says that God cannot lie. So I want you to understand that it is impossible for God to lie. In fact, if God ever lied, he would disqualify himself from being God. He cannot lie. 
And don't ever think for one minute that God will ever run out of steam, that God will ever get to the place where he's tired of being God or he's too old to be God. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 41, verse number 13, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So I want you to know something. Jesus has placed the integrity of the Godhead upon the promise that he will come again, and surely he will. Now, I want you to notice another verse in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11. The Bible says this, and this is taking place 40 days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He gathered his disciples together to the Mount of Olives and he began to encourage them. Among many things, he said, listen, I want you to be witnesses unto me and to the uttermost part of the earth. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. He said, I want you to spread the gospel. He said this, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. That's exactly what they did. Now, before he ascended, he gave his disciples these final instructions. And then all of a sudden, now you have to remember something. Jesus had walked with these people for three and a half years. They had been with him in all kinds of circumstances. They were with him in the miracles. They were with him in the persecutions. Uh, They were with him in the healings, the preachings, the teachings. They slept with him. They ate with him. They had all kinds of fellowship with him. Now, after three and a half years on this earth, 40 days after the resurrection, he gathers all of these disciples together to the Mount of Olives, he begins to give them what we know to be the Great Commission. And then all of a sudden, a cloud began to appear before them and the Lord Jesus began to ascend. And notice what the angel said in verse number one, because these disciples, they were stargazing. They were numb. They were paralyzed. They were about ready to lose what they thought was their best friend. Where is he going? And the angel said this, which are also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, don't worry about this, fellas. This same Jesus, not another one, not an imitation, but this same Jesus who walked the dusty roads of Palestine, who has the nail scars in his hand, who has the riven side, who has the prints of the nails or the thorns in his brow. This same Jesus is coming again. Notice this. Shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. So here's what I want you to know about the two testimonies. One was given by Jesus himself. God cannot lie. The angels also verified this and said he would come again in like manner as you've seen him go. Now, in these two verses, we have these two personal testimonies that Jesus is coming again. Jesus and the angels. And I can assure you of this. Listen carefully. The rapture is not going to be something that you want to read about in the day after's newspaper. I can assure you of that. That's not where you want to be. That's not what you want to read about. That's not the headlines you want to see. Now, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. Let me be quick with this. I want to preach this sermon this morning in its entirety. In Matthew chapter 24, I want you to see this because on your notes, 
Number two, Jesus explains the spiritual condition of the world before he returns. So let's read these passages of scripture together. Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Follow along with me very carefully. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name saying that I am Christ. And I want to pause here just for a minute to remind you of something that I have preached in one of my other sermons about the rapture. At the time of my preparation for that particular sermon, there were over 300 people in the world who had claimed to be Jesus Christ. Nine most recent people, and I don't have time to go into that, but believe me, this is happening today. And shall deceive many, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. They're all over the world right now. And pestilences. My goodness, I don't have time this morning to preach on COVID-19, but that is a pestilence. Jesus said it would happen. He he said it would happen all over the world right before he came. And we could go into the swine flu and AIDS, and we can go into all of those other things, but time does not permit us. But we're living in the day of pestilences and earthquakes. We just prayed for Brother Kevin, who had a 6.4 in Croatia, but they're happening all over the world. I don't have time to give you the update on that this morning, but believe me, this morning there were many all over the world. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another." and shall hate one another. Are we not living in those days right now? Listen, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity, sin, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I'll come back to that verse in a moment. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end come. There is not a place on this planet where somebody has not penetrated with the gospel. Every known place to man at this point of time, the gospel has been presented. Now here in this passage, I want you to look at it. Jesus himself gave a chilling description of what the world is going to be like right before he comes. It's the great falling away. And this is something that I want you to pay very close attention to. And you that are watching at home today, don't miss this point. This is a tremendous statement in the scripture and I want you to get it. Perhaps it pertains to you. Maybe it pertains to somebody here this morning, many that are watching, but look at this. It's the great falling away. Jesus said right before I come, and we just gave you these things in Matthew 24 that's going to take place. But he said right before I come, in addition to those things, there's going to be a great 
falling away. I want you to look at this. In fact, Paul spoke of that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read for you this morning three verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want you to look with me at verses number 1 through 3. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, I want you to look at this. He says in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. No, in verse 2, the day of Christ, that's talking about the rapture. The rapture is not the revelation. We are waiting for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing that's going to happen according to the word of God and Bible prophecy, the next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. Are you ready? Are you ready to go to heaven? Are you ready to go in a twinkling of an eye? Are you ready to go today? Are you ready to go right now? He could come back before we take our next breath. Are you ready? So I want you to understand something. The rapture takes place first, and then there's a seven-year period. Remember, we talked about the number seven for two Sundays. And then the revelation, the day of the Lord. So the day of Christ is the rapture. The day of the Lord is the revelation. Verse 3 says that right before Jesus returns, there'll be a great falling away. I want you to see that. That means this. That means that a world that we live in right now, this world, the society that we're in, by the way, who is against God? This world's not for God. This world is, as a whole is totally against God. You can, you can see that on every level of life. And that's being fulfilled today. And the Bible is being declared, listen carefully, all, especially all around the United States anyway, but mainly all over the world, the Bible, the word of God that you hold in your lap this morning is being declared as hate speech all over the world by millions of people. You mark it down. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said himself that right before the rapture, there would be a great falling away. That's talking about global apostasy would be everywhere. And he went on to say in his end time message that apostasy, listen carefully now, apostasy would not only be in the world, but he went on to say that apostasy would also be in the church. I want you to think about this. You know, you cannot fall away from something unless you have been close to something. Are you with me? I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the church of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm talking about the church that Jesus bled and died for. He said, listen, there is going to come in the end a great falling away. You cannot be falling away unless you are first close to something, but it's a progression of falling back. It's a progression of going backwards, a great falling away. Look with me in Matthew chapter 25. I want you to see this. 
And I want you now to perk up with this passage of Scripture. You need to understand it. This is a passage we don't always preach on, but it needs to be familiar in your heart. You need to know what it's talking about. I'm going to read for you Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And what, what am I talking about? I'm talking about not only apostasy in the world, but apostasy in the church. I'm talking about how the world is going to find itself in a position where they hate God. They hate Christians. They hate the word. Uh, they, they hate anything that we stand for. But also, there is going to be a falling away in many churches, people falling away from the truth. Now, I want you to see this in Matthew 25. Look with me, verses 1 through 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Do you know this story? If you don't perk up, let me refresh you or, or enlighten you this morning. There shall be the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. All right, now, as we study Bible prophecy, who is the bridegroom? Bible prophecy teaches us that the bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. We, the church, are the bride. Revelation clearly talks about that. But this is a parable in parallel to that. So look now. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil. By the way, oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So look at this. And took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, and this is what we're doing. We are waiting for the Lord to come. You've heard me say many times, if the Lord tarries is coming, we need to be busy. We need to be working. The word says, occupy until I come. We need to be busy. So right now, we're waiting for the bridegroom as we consider him tarrying his coming because we don't know the day nor the hour. We know he's coming. But in our opinion, the Lord Jesus right now at this moment, for whatever reason he chooses, is tarrying his coming. He is the bridegroom. Now, in parallel, keep in mind now, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried. And they slumbered, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry. You remember that old song we sing sometimes, the midnight cry. Look at this. Behold the bridegroom in parallel to the bridegroom in Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Behold the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. Listen, the great falling away. You cannot fall away from something until you have first been close to it. All right. Now, these, the all had lamps. Only five put oil in it. Only five were busy. Only five were working. Only five were serving. The others were just playing around and falling away. Now, the word says in verse 7, Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. 
But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, they were preoccupied with everything else going on in life. While they were busy just lollygagging, doing whatever they were doing. Notice this. While they were ready, notice this. They went to buy. The bridegroom came. The bridegroom came. And notice this. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. Now, we are awaiting the marriage of the Lord. We are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb at the last three and a half years as the world goes through their part of the tribulation. They went with him to the marriage, and look at this, and the door was shut. Do you remember when God shut the door on the ark? No man could get in it. They couldn't even open it. And that is to say this, that when God shuts the door, no man can open it. When he opens the door, listen, you can keep driving 18 wheelers through it as long as he's got it open. But notice this. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Do you remember the scripture? Lord, didn't we not do these wonderful things? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not preach in your name? Then we do all of these things. And the Lord said, Ye that work iniquity, depart from me, for I never knew you. Notice this. Now they're beaten on the doors of heaven, saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Verse 13. Now, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. So keep this in mind. There is going to be a great falling away right before the rapture. And if this is not the day of falling away, I don't know what is. You look all around you and you see people in churches everywhere. You, you see people who are involved in the religious community everywhere falling away from the truths of the word. Keep this in mind. Jesus never said that we would not know the season nor the signs before he returned. He said that we would not know the day or the hour that he was going to return. But there's something interesting in this parable of the ten virgins and how it reveals the spiritual condition on this earth before he comes. In this particular parable, let me remind you again that Jesus is the bridegroom. If you make a footnote in your Bible, you can go back and reread it and keep that in mind. The bridegroom is Jesus and the ten virgins represents the church. It re represents uh, the religious community. And the only, listen now, the only real and true cluster of believers, the only real true ecclesia, the only real true church, the called out assembly, those who have been born again, those whom God has redeemed, Jesus said, listen, he is going to come. And when he comes, he is saying this in the parable, that only half of the people that claim to know him are really not part of his redeemed plan of salvation he is saying that out of the 10 five were ready and five were not so i ask you this question again today are you ready he said five were wise and he said five were foolish he is saying that only half of their lamps were all trimmed and burning and i'm going to share with you something this morning that is not 
comfortable for a lot of people to hear. And I want to prepare you for that in our internet audience. I want you to listen very carefully. This is not comfortable for you to hear. But a good pastor will not just tell you stuff that you want to hear. A good preacher and a good pastor will tell you stuff that you need to hear. And there's a big difference in that. I want to tell you something about these five foolish virgins. They represent the religious community that calls themselves the church, but who are really not saved, who are really not redeemed and born again. It used to be said to walk the walk and talk the talk, but now we're living in the time when religious communities, I'm talking about churches of all denominations, do not even want to talk the talk anymore. It's the time right before the rapture. Jesus said it very specifically. Again, it's the great falling away among Christians as well. And let me remind you again, I've said it three times already. I want to reiterate it again. You cannot fall away from something if you've not been close to something. And I want you to think about that. Not only in the world, but many churches today are rejecting the absolute clear teachings of the word of God. It's part of the falling away. Churches today, listen, they reject the clear teaching in scripture about abortion. They reject the clear teaching in the scriptures about same-sex marriages and homosexuality. They reject, some churches reject the teaching of the inerrancy of the scriptures, meaning that the literal word of God is what we have in our hands today. For example, preachers today, some of them are getting away from the preaching and teaching about hell, the, the literacy of hell. Some no longer preach about hell or some no longer preach about a literal devil. My response to that is this. If the Bible is telling us a lie about hell, if there is no hell, then why should we believe any part of the Bible about heaven? If, if, if hell is not real and the word of God says it's real and we believe that it's real, then why should we believe anything else about the Bible? You think about this for a moment. If one thing in this book is wrong, then how can we believe anything that it says? Did you know that Jesus talked more about hell in the scriptures than he did about heaven? Here's the thing that I want you to understand today in the community. Those of you that are watching by internet, those of you that are here today, listen very carefully about the word of God because people are trying to get away from it. They're trying to rewrite it and, and, and modernize it to fit their circumstance or their situation. But listen carefully. This book, this Bible that you hold in your hand is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. It is God's breath. It is the holy word of God. And many churches today believe in this thing of universalism, meaning that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. If he works for the Baptists or the Pentecostals or the church of God, if he works for, for the Methodists, that's okay. But maybe, maybe the Buddhist and the Hindu and the, and the Muslim, they feel a different way about this. Listen carefully. I'm so glad that we all have the freedom to worship like we want to worship. I'm so glad that we can and all sing kumbaya in the world wherever we are. I'm so glad about that. But I will tell you this, out of all the songs, out of all the teaching, out of all the preaching, there is only one God. There is only one way to heaven. Can the church say amen? Glory to God. He said this. He said there's only one way. One well-known pastor recently said this. He said that the Bible, this book, would not define his life 
his lifestyle, or his sexuality that this book could not define in its four corners what he was going to be, what he was going. In fact, he went on to say this. He said, it's time for another testament to be written that is more up to date for the times that we're living in. Now, you tell me, is that not a falling away? Is that not a falling away from the truths of God's word? There are these kinds of things happening in the church today. I'm talking about people who've got steeples outside of their buildings and signs on the road saying we are church. But listen carefully. No matter what a person is, no matter what a person says, no matter what their belief is or how they interpret this book or what they believe about God or what they believe about heaven or what they believe about life after death, whatever they are, whatever they say, whatever they do, even if they don't line up with this book, we still have to love them and be compassionate to them. We have to pray for them and we have to lift them up because somewhere along the line, the Holy Ghost of God may set upon them we cannot turn them away. We cannot shun them. We have to love them. Glory to God. Let me be clear about something. Many people do not believe in what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25. But he said this was going to happen in the world and in so many so-called churches. If you're looking at your outline today, letter F, I want to get through this real quickly here, but we're clearly living in the day of the Bible prophecy being right fulfilled right before our very eyes. Jesus said, when I return, only half of the professing Christians, you go back to the story of the 10 virgins, only half of the professing Christians will really know me. That is why, listen, we've got to know the truth. We've got to study the truth. Stand firm on your, your convictions and your awareness about the word. In 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said this, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So let me tell you something. Listen, this is God's word. You need to have faith and confidence in it. Don't be ashamed of it. It's the power of God. Now listen carefully. In Matthew 24, 12, I want you to look again what Jesus said in the last days right before I come. He said, iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So Jesus is describing exactly what's going on in the world today. There will not be, listen carefully, when the rapture takes place, and you understand what that is, when we hear the trump of God's sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together, we'll meet the Lord in the air. I'll say something about that in just a minute. But when the rapture takes place, because we have, as believers, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a real person. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And when we're raptured, listen carefully, when the, when, when the redeemed are taken out of this world, the Holy Spirit is taken out as well. So I want you to imagine this world, this earth. There is not going to be, when the rapture takes place, there is not going to be one saved person left on this earth. Not one. We will all be taken out. Now imagine 
Everything you know about this world today and, and their hatred for Christianity, their hatred for the church, their hatred for the word, their hatred for the message. Think about this. When we're caught up and taken out, not one saved person left. Now, can you imagine civilization, society functioning like that? Now, I want, you to I want you to see something. It's going to be a completely different world. Jesus, and number three here, I've got to go quick. He gave many examples in Luke 17, verse 26 through 37. Follow along with me. I read fast. Jesus said this was going to happen right before I come. I've already given you several things. Let me give you a couple more real quickly. Right before I come. He said, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, it was in the days of Lot. So Jesus is saying this, like it was in the days of Noah. Then he gives us another comparison. He said, also, it's going to be exactly like it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone. Now, when Lot went out of Sodom, here's the thing that I want you to understand. The Lord Jesus, this is why I believe in the pre-tribulation, which means this, I don't believe the church is going to go through the tribulation. I believe that the Lord Jesus is going to rapture us right before the tribulation begins. Listen carefully. I'm going to read it here in just a minute. Lot did not leave Sodom and Gomorrah until God said, get out. When he did that, God didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot was out of the city. God did not destroy Jericho until Rahab, the representation of a believer throughout the rest of the world, until she was safely outside of the city. God didn't destroy the world by flood until Noah and his family were safely on board the ark. These are illustrations. They parallel with the rapture. They parallel that the church is going to be rescued. Those that believe in Christ is going to be rescued before the tribulation. Notice this in verse 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man, when the Lord Jesus comes... Is revealed. In that day, he which shall be on the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there shall be two men in one bed. The other shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is thither, will the eagles... This is important. Look at this. This is very important. I've never brought this out to you before, but it's very simple. Very basic, very simple here. Will the eagles be gathered together? Now... First of all, Jesus compared it to the days of Noah in verse 26, meaning that the world was going to be filled, engulfed with violence. Are we not there now? The whole world. He also compared it to the days of Lot, completely perverted. Look around. I don't have time to speak on that this morning. 
Listen carefully. I'm going to come back to the eagle thing in just a moment. Number four, we've got to move quick. The rapture will be selective. I don't have time to read uh, verses 34 through 36 right now, but I want you to send your bulletin. I want you to mark that down. This is what that means, that as the ten virgins, five are ready, five are not. When the rapture takes place, listen, some wives will be raptured and some will not be. Some husbands will be raptured and some will not be. All the children under the age of accountability will be. Children and teenagers that are are saved or redeemed, they will be. Those that are not will be left. Here's what I'm saying. That when the rapture takes place, only the believers go. Are you with me? Only the believers go. Everyone else, whether they are husband and wife, say the wife goes to church, the husband is an infidel or a reprobate. He didn't go. He don't care. Vice versa. Man loves God, serves the Lord, believes in him with all of his heart, soul, mind, body. He believes, but she doesn't. Just because one may believe and the other doesn't, that doesn't mean somebody can go on their coattail. Are you with me? See, here's the thing. It's the rapture is selective, which means, now, this is no room for Calvinist to say, oh, we got you here, preacher. I don't mean that predestined. What I mean is this, selective. If you've called upon the Lord to be your Savior when he returns, you get to go. If you have not done that, you don't get to go. And you will be left here on this earth. Number five, look at it quickly. The rapture will take all believers into the air. This is where I want you to see the eagle thing here. Okay. And back in Luke 17, verse 37, and they answered and said unto him, where, Lord? And he said, where are we going? When you come back, where are you going to take us? And the Lord said this unto them, whithersoever the body is, notice this, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Now, where do eagles fly? Eagles fly in the air. They don't fly in space. They fly in the air. Now, 1 Thessalonians says this in chapter 4, verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I want to speak on one point further. Number six, our musicians come forward. Listen to this. The rapture will be transforming. Are you you taking notes now? You're staying with me? Number six, the rapture will be transforming. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means that not all of us are going to be dead. Not all of us are going to cross the river. There are going to be some of us when the trumpet sounds who are alive. And when the trumpet sounds, listen, we've got to wait our turn. Because the word says the dead in Christ will will rise first. Why do they rise first? Because they've got six feet farther to go than we do. (laughs) But they rise first. Then we which are alive and remain should be called together with them 
It's a transformation. Listen to this. In the twinkling of an eye. Several years ago, a corporation in my study research calculated this. A twinkling of an eye was one twentieth of a second. So if you want to see something just for a minute, this is what's got to take place in the blink of an eye, twinkling of an eye, blink of an eye. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up with them. But in this moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. Notice the scripture here. It says, we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, in this transformation, the scripture says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned and likened to his glorious body according to that working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I want you to understand something, that these bodies, I just shared this the other day at Brother Bruce's funeral, our, our bodies like we know them there, they're not ready to go to heaven. They cannot make it into heaven. Every one of us today have something wrong with us. We have pills. We have oxygen. We have canes. We have CNI dogs. We Listen, when the rapture takes place, none of us are going to limp into heaven. We're not going to struggle into heaven. Cancer. Hey, Lucille, cancer's not welcome in heaven. There'll be no more chemotherapy, no more radiation. Dad, there'll be no more retuxton for you. I will tell you this. We will go to heaven. We will meet the Lord Jesus in a glorified body. I don't know what that is, but whatever he is, I'm going to be like him. Somebody said Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. John the Revelator said it this way, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, chapter 21. And the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. That's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.